Well, good morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. I want to tell you some exciting news. We, uh, we're ending the 21 days of focus, and I hope you're going to stay around and do the walk with us as we walk the campus, enjoy a sandwich, and then walk. If you say, well, I don't want to walk, but I want a sandwich. Well, you can get a sandwich. We'll let you do that, okay? We will always feed you around here. But I want to tell you about some decisions that we've made coming out of these 21 days of focus. It's been kind of interesting. Uh, there's three ladies in our congregation that uh, I've invited to join our team, our leadership team. Uh, in, they're, uh, they're volunteer, but we're going to treat them like staff, okay? Is that, is that you said, you just cheat. Well, no, it's Jesus, y'all. So first of all, we've asked Brenda Morton to step in and be, be over our first impressions ministry. Brenda's right here. She's like, duh. She's been doing it forever, and we're just so excited. Of course, our, our amazing, wonderful pianist, Nancy Williams. Nancy, she's here on the front row, and she's going to step in in creative arts, and Dan's excited to add her to the team there, and I'm excited as Nancy's also is joining. And then um, Melinda Pribble. I think I said that right. Did I get it right? Did I get it right, Pribbles? Yeah. Uh, she's in Disney World right now with, uh, with the kids, and she's going to join us to be our women's ministry director, so we're excited to have her joining us on our staff team as well. And of course, Johnny Wood, who's been a part of our men's ministry. Johnny, you're official too anyway, okay? You've been doing it forever. So we're excited about these additions, and I need to tell you something. In about three or four weeks, I haven't decided when yet, but we're going to have a family meeting. And we're going to talk about where, how we're moving forward with the This Is Us and the building expansion. And during this time, I have grown increasingly uncomfortable with us getting into debt again. Just have. So what is God saying to us in this season? Through our pledging and giving, we pledged and given around a little over $2 million. Is there something we could do for that? So y'all be, uh, be praying with me on that, okay? And then we'll talk about that. Now, if God wants us to get in debt, guess what? But God owns a cattle on a thousand hills of the hills on which they stand. If God needs to go to Fort Worth and sell some cows, then let's go, all right? We got the Chisholm Trail already, right, Jim? We can, we're good by selling cows, so uh, anything to go. So y'all be praying about that, okay? Now, we're going to continue the series on Ephesians, and I hope you've been walking with us. You've been taking advantage of reading through the book of Ephesians. You've also been watching the group time because we're teaching a portion on the weekend and then a little more in group time, then again in group, uh, the gatherings and then in group time. So we'll walk through the entire book. So this is all designed to be uh, sequential, to create three environments for you guys to really get this stuff in your heart. But today we're turning the corner. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this is what God has done for us. Now we're going to be talking about how God wants us to live. And this is what I've discovered in looking at this. God always starts, get this, God always starts his work in you before he starts his work through you. He always starts with you, working in your heart and your life and cleaning things up in you before he shows you how to live next. Now, it's all about relationships. God is a God of relationships. And we, we make some intentional decisions around here. We only partner through relationships. So if we're going to be in relationship with another organization or entity or church, it's always through uh, relationships. That's why we have these partnerships with these pastors all over Latin America and, and all over South Texas and some other places in the world. It's always through relationships. We, relationships make life rich, don't they? Relationships make life rich, don't they? 
Yeah, sometimes relationships bring problems, don't they? Some of y'all married into your biggest problems, did you not? You know, you love your spouse, but it's her family or his family that drives you crazy. Don't say amen right now, just be real still. So what I've discovered, well, I heard an evangelist say this one time, I'd win the world of Christ if it wasn't for all these people. You know, as a pastor, I understand the richness of the relationships and the problems that relationships bring. I get that. I deal with people. I'm in the people business. And I can laugh at what the evangelists say, or I can see that people bring problems, but they also bring great joy. They bring great joy. And I've discovered this. When it comes to relationships, I am my biggest problem. I cause most of the drama, most of the confusion, and most of the dysfunction. I am my biggest problem. Now, somebody ought to look at me and say, Pastor, you just need to get right with Jesus. I'm talking about y'all too. This is like the queen we here. You are your biggest problem. Before I can address the problems with other relationships, I got to cross the barrier of me. Paul starts here in four saying, hey, 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 hey. Cross the barrier of me first. And then we're going to deal with some other things. Then we're going to deal with the culture. And then we're going to deal with your marriage, your family. We're going to deal with your parenting. And oh, by the way, we're going to end this all talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about the devil and what he wants to do and how he wants to derail you. Now, I want you to consider this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, singular, not fruits, but fruit singular in our lives. This is what the Holy Spirit produces. Well, look at how this is. This is called a chiastic structure. If you want to know what that means, I'll tell you later. Love, joy, and peace. All of those, y'all, are conditions of the attitude or the thought life. Oh, I'm going to be a person of love. I'm going to be a person of joy. And I'm going to let the peace of God that passes all understanding abide in my heart and my life. I'm going to be at peace regardless of circumstances. These are decisions I make. It's the direction of my thought life. Love, joy, and peace. And then he gives another triplet, which is produces the character that when I focus on love, joy, and peace, it produces the character of patience. Of patience. I need to be patient. And what patience means, it doesn't mean quietly sitting at the red light and not honking your horn 15 times when the light completely turns green. That's not patience. That's just not being a jerk. <laughs> patience literally means putting up with other people's dysfunction. Wow. My mama used to say, Scott, you're standing on my last nerve. I didn't know what that means, but it wasn't good. And, you know, I should have said, Mama, you need to exercise the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. And she would exercise the fruit of the fig tree, which is called a switch. <laughs> patience and kindness and goodness, those are all characters that are produced by love, joy, and peace that leads to actions of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no laws against these things. Oh, so as I think in my heart, so I become and so I behave. That an attitude produces a character and a character produces an action. That when the fruit of the Spirit works in my life, I'm a person who's thoughtful, character-driven, and reactive appropriately. Hmm, hmm. The last evidence of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Did y'all see that? It doesn't say spouse control. 
It doesn't say kid control or neighbor control. It means self-control. So I want you to do something. This will help you remember it. Hold your left hand up like this, okay? Hold it up like this and reach, take your right hand, reach over and pull up some skin off your left hand. Hold it right there and repeat after me. I can control everything I'm holding on to. Okay, now don't reach over and try to grab your neighbor because you can't control them. Yeah, yeah. So you have the gift of the spirit of self-control, self-control. Another passage Paul said to Timothy, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power to love and a sound mind or self-control. Same use of that word there in Greek, that God gives this to you as the gift of his spirit. Now, when I look at this, that I need the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit controlling my life, but I try to control everything else but me. And I need to do, I need to deal with that. Can you relate to that? Hmm. Now, I need to make some decisions based on biblical truth and biblical instruction. I don't need to follow my heart because my heart is deceptive above all things. I don't need to follow my gut because I ate Mexican food yesterday, so my gut is unreliable. Or follow the dysfunction of my family or the people around me. Just because your family always did it this way don't mean it's good. In fact, it might mean it's cray-cray. I need to follow King Jesus, instruction of his word, and adjust my life to him, him and to his word. Now, we turn the corner, we're going to discover, turn the corner of Ephesians, we're going to discover in light of revelation of the previous chapters, how God wants us to live currently in this watching world. So are y'all ready for this? All right, that's enough of you. That's four, so let's go. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning, and I pray that you'll speak through me that will not be my words or my thoughts, but your truth that leads us to live all for you, King Jesus. So just speak to us now. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and take out your notes. You want to take some notes today. And let me remind you again of our online resources, uh, fbcwimberly.com. Our new website is going to be rolling out soon, and there's going to be tons of content on it. We are uh, going to load about 80 leadership lessons that I've been accumulating, my teaching on video for you in two to three, sometimes five-minute segments that will help you in all areas of life, plus a lot of other content. And if you're interested in Right Now Media, if you do not have Right Now Media, take that card in front of you, write your email address on, and say, sign me up for Right Now Media. It is Christian Netflix. It is amazing, and we want to give it to you as a gift. So take advantage of this. The first thing Paul says, coming out of, out of three after that great prayer, we looked at that great prayer in our group time this past week, how he prays that God would do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever ask or think according to the power that works within him and in the church for the glory of God through endless ages. Paul prays this, that he says, therefore. Now that we got this power, therefore, this is how we ought to live. Listen to what he says. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. The word beg there is an interesting word. It's the same word used in Romans 12 when it says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, to make yourself a living. This word urge is the same word there for beg. It's the same word that John used for the Holy Spirit. A parakletos, I come alongside you, put my arm around you, said, hey, 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 let's do this. 
That's what it means. I beg you to do this. I'm coming alongside you, putting my arm around you and saying, let's go. Let's live this way to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, patient with each other, 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 making allowance for other faults because of your love. It means, in other words, you're going to overlook somebody's faults because you love them. Do you ever have to do that? Whew. I'm so glad our, my, my marriage is built on that principle because usually I'm the fault out of love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called into one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is over all and in all and living through all. Now, a lot of times we take that last passage. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is over all and in all and living through all. And we pull that out and we set it over here and we use it as kind of a creedal statement. And we don't look at the context of this, that God is honored and glorified when we're overlooking each other's faults, when we're walking in unity, by we're being patient with one another, by we're, we're being united in the spirit. God says, I'm glorified when you do that. But it's got to start with you. Now look at this, and what Paul is saying is, hey, be of one mind, be in unity. Did you know Paul talked more about unity than he did sexual immorality? Now in the church today, we get all kind of all up in arms about sexual immorality. Whoa, 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 whoa. But with disunity, we embrace that. We think that's normal. And what Paul's saying this is, listen, y'all, drama in the church is more immoral than immorality in the world. What? Let me tell you something that'll kill a church faster than anything. Drama. Normal people hate drama. Can I get an amen? amen. Now you say, well, I love drama. You ain't normal. <laughs> if you got people in your life that stir up drama, make sure they're not in your life. Give them distance. Say, take your band and all that stuff and go over yonder. Because I, I, don't, I don't need drama in my life. Now, if you say you don't know anybody, it's you. Okay. But how do you deal with this? Humbly and gently. Now, the word humility is interesting. What humble and gentle is kind of a dualistic thing that means an attitude that leads to an action. Humble, humble. I had a kid in my youth group once. He said, I told him, I said, hey, if you're going to be a pastor, you need to work on your humility. He says, I am humble. That's what I'm most proud of. Okay. A true story. Uh, humility is a word Paul had to make up. Because of the Greek language, they had no word for it because they didn't embrace the attitude at all. You did everything, but you were not humble because we even misinterpret. We think being humble means subservient. That means groveling. That means putting yourself down at the lowest level of society. That's not what biblical humility is. Biblical humility means humilitas, which is the Greek word, setting aside your rights and privileges for the good of others. And I do that with gentleness. Hmm. That I, and I overlook one another's faults with humility and gentleness. Why? Because probably I did that at one time too. I need to, instead of judging them, I need to love them. I need to speak the truth and love to them. And I need to be a person that makes allowance. Often, my heightened sense of judgment 
Our justice is blinded by my arrogance. Shall I repeat that? Often, my heightened sense of justice or judgment is blinded by my own arrogance. I need to look at my heart. What am I doing? Now, God asks us to maintain unity through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you need a heart check before you start making decisions about humility and gentleness and about overlooking one of those faults and about maintaining unity. You've got to look at your heart. Ask these questions. Uh, the, the people who are on our staff team are going to laugh when they hear these. Is what I'm about to say helpful? Because we say that all the time. Was that helpful? They'll say, Pastor, was that helpful? That's a, is what I'm about to say helpful? Is what I'm about to say useful? Is it going to build up or is it going to tear down? Is it going to discourage or encourage? Is it going to lead to life change or just be a pronouncement of your own craziness? Huh. Am I jaded in my assessment by my arrogance, pride, or entitlement? How do you know you're entitled? When you don't get what you want, you're entitled. You know, you can tell entitlement in the church when somebody's sitting in your pew. (laughs) I've been sitting there for the last five weeks, and how dare you sit in my pew? That just sounded nasty, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. But you know, that's what entitlement does. Do you know how I can tell I'm entitled? When somebody parks in my parking spot. You know, it's not marked, but everybody knows it's Pastor Scott's parking spot. And sometimes people just park in it just to aggravate me, don't they, Dan? (laughs) And I need to deal with me. Deal with me. That's one of the things, you know, as as a young pastor, I remember going to a church where the pastor had front row parking spot, had a plaque on it, pastor's parking, pastor's wife parking. It was front row. And I I was thinking, I got to be here anyway. I park up the hill. In fact, I do in my spot. I park up the hill. (laughs) The deal is it's it's all about dealing with yourself, dealing with yourself and, and dealing with your own arrogance and pride and your own entitlement. What's going on in your heart and your life? And is what, I'm a, is what I want really what's best or, or is it just what I want? And do I really even know the difference? Now, here's the deal, y'all. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you can never answer those questions. You just can't do it because you're broken. You're sinful. You need the power of God in your life. And I want to tell you something. You really can't have full, meaningful, heartfelt, wonderful relationships without Jesus. You can't. Well, you say, well, Pastor, I know a lot of people don't have Jesus. and uh, Yeah, I do too. And they, they're, they're a mess. Because even with Jesus, a lot of y'all are a mess, including me. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Hmm. See, it lies within me. That means I need to be the person that's the peacemaker. Paul said this, do all you can to live in peace with everyone. He said that to the church in Rome. Do, every, as it, do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Any attitude that causes disunity, y'all, is sinful. It's sinful. And I thought about that, and I have a decision to make. I can become your armor bearer, where I become someone who's unified and, and someone who's walking with you 
and encouraging you and taking up the battle for you and being that person, that peacemaker. I could be that person or I could be your pallbearer. I can carry your dead body out. Now, I realize in, in our tradition, pallbearers are you honorary people who've loved the, the, the one who's gone away. But in this case, I'm talking about people that are just waiting for you to die. Are you an armor bearer or a pallbearer? And I get that from my brother Stan. My brother Stan, uh, he's a pastor as well. In fact, Stan will be back. His, his band from Texas is almost over. I banned him from Texas for three months because he sent pictures of me as a seven-year-old around to people in our church. So he got banned from Texas. He was on probation for three months. So he's coming back in, in March. He's going to be preaching in March. And um, I got this from Stan because Stan went to a celebration of an African-American pastor's 40th year in ministry. And they had a big celebration. They had six preachers there. They went all day. They had, they had, he said the, the lunch was worth going through six preachers. And Stan was the last one. One of the guys got up preaching. He was the chairman of the deacons of the church. And he got up and he said, Pastor, we're coming today representing the deacons of this church. You see, as deacons of this church, we have decided we are going to be your armor bearers. When you go to battle, we're going to be there with our sword and shield. When you go out to slay giants, we're going to gather up smooth stones. We're going to go with you. We're going to stand beside you. If you're going, we're going to. Pastor, we're your armor bearers. But pastor, there's some folks in this church. They're your Paul bearers. They can't wait to carry your dead body out of here. But, but I want to tell you, they ain't going to carry your body out of here without us armor bearers going after them. <laughs> Stan told me that. I embellished it a bit. I said, I need me some of them armor bearers. You know what? I had a couple of our deacons came out after the first gathering. They hugged me. I said, I am your armor bearer. I said, get some rocks. We got some giants to kill. Giants like poverty. Giants like egocentric leaders. Giants like um, sickness, pandemic diseases. Giants like um, uh, spiritual emptiness. We got some giants to kill, don't we? It's going to take some armor bearers to do the work of God. See, and I have to make a decision. I get to choose to be an armor bearer. Then I was in a gathering on Thursday. I spoke at an event down in San Antonio. I heard this guy speak, and he said this. He was talking about unity. I, I stole it from him. But so from now on, I'm going to take credit for it. <laughs> Will you be the one who shuts down the negative, critical people in your church family or in your family? Will you be the one who shuts it down? If good men and women do nothing, then evil will prevail. If good men and women do nothing, then evil will prevail. So I got to choose to be useful. I got to say, okay, Jesus, here I am. Let's go. I'm useful. Listen to what Paul says. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Now, I skipped a section of a passage there because that is a thorny passage theologically. And some people misinterpreted it. It says that Jesus went to hell and he preached and won all the people in hell to the Lord and they went to heaven. And then he ascended. But the problem with that, the scripture doesn't say that. What the scripture is saying is that he left heaven, he incarnated in the, in the world and lived among us and he ascended back to heaven. That's what it says in that passage, but I'm not gonna take time to teach that, okay? So we'll jump to this next passage. And this is awesome. 
Now, these are the gifts Christ, Christ gave to the church. Now, when you look at this, say, these are the gifts. Are these the only gifts Christ gave to the church? No. And actually, the word gift there, uh, it's where we get the word charisma, uh, charismatic or charos, the love gifts. These are the gifts he gives to us. Uh, there's, Paul gives several other places where there's a list of gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, other places. Peter gives a list of gifts. Only Peter gives two. Paul gives 22. Difference between those two guys. And, and he says, but these are really what we would call the offices are the assignments for a purpose to the church. And here they are. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come into such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. In other words, you are not going to become mature in Christ until you choose to be useful. Now let's look back at these, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What, what is this? Now some people believe, I was reading a theologian this morning who said, well, after all the apostles died, there was no need for apostles anymore, so that's done. And after all the prophets died, there's no need for prophets, and that's done. And that's called sensationist. They believe it ceased. Now, I don't agree with that position. Because I believe if it's in God's word, it's influential through all time. So what is an apostle in modern days? What is this? And so in, in struggling with this and reading this and looking at the word and looking at the function, I think an apostle is an influencer. Apostle is someone who's called by God to draw a network of other pastors and leaders together for training and for equipping and for encouraging. They are, they're a global influencer, someone who has the apostolic giftedness to bring people together. What is a prophet? Now, in the Old Testament, a prophet was proclaiming Jesus was coming. In the New Testament, a prophet is not someone who foretells the future, but someone who declares Christ as Lord. Now, in our modern day, this is what I think. Now, y'all can argue with me, and people will, that in our modern day, a prophet, I think, is a thought influencer. One who is analyzing system strategy structures and proclaiming, here's some futuristic ideas the church could use to build up the body of Christ. A thought influencer. Now, the evangelist is a soul winner. Someone who talks about Christ and people come to Christ. Now, the pastor and teacher really is classic Hebrew structure. This is one person with one office. And the because the, the word there used for the pastor and teacher is used for oversight, which is episkopos. That's where we get episcopalian from. It means oversight. And it means, also means shepherd, uh, poemia, which means shepherd. That's the Greek word for those two things. So one who gives oversight and instruction as a teacher. Now you look at this and you say, okay, these are five full things. Is it possible for that to be one person? Huh, let's analyze that for a second. Now, is every pastor supposed to have all five of those? No, but the church needs all five. Is it possible for one person to have all five of those giftedness? Let's think of it this way. If you're a major league baseball player, you call guys who are major league baseball players five-fold players. They can hit, they can hit with power, they can run, they can throw, and they can play defense. 
A five-fold baseball player is a superstar in the baseball world. A five-fold person in Christ's world is a humble, gentle equipper of the saints. There are some people who are five-fold. There are some who are two out of three or three out of four or, or whatever the combination. There's some that are just one. That's okay. Actually, it would be, yeah, pastor, teacher, just one. But it's not about that. It's about what does the church need and what do you need? You need all five manifestations of these type of people to do this, to equip you. What does the word equip mean? It means this. It means to restore you to usefulness. Where'd you get that? I'll tell you. The word, the Greek word there used for equip is the same word used in this passage here in four as used when Peter and John were mending their nets by the Sea of Galilee. They were returning them to usefulness. So your pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, apostle, is to restore you to usefulness and to restore the church to usefulness for the global glory of God. Oh, then I need, to, I need to submit to that. I need to allow that to happen in my life. I need to, and you need to. I need to allow that. So when I'm around guys that are apostles, I need to allow them, our, our thought influencers, our, I, need to, I need to let them, I, I need to listen. And soul winners and preachers, I need, I need those things. You need those five things in your life, don't you? Don't you? And God has given them to you. He said, here they are. Now, what Paul, what the, the writer of Hebrews said, almost gave away who I thought wrote Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews said, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. They're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Being useful brings unity and maturity that the body of Christ may be unified and built up. Don't you want to be a part of church like that? That's beautified and built up. So you got to choose now to grow up. Now look at your neighbor and say to them, would you please grow up? Will you do that? Some of y'all like that way too much, way too much. Choose to grow up. Now, let's, let's look at that. This is what Paul goes on to say. Then, after we're submitted to being equipped and after we're choosing to be unified and we're choosing to be useful, then we're going to grow up. Then we will no longer be immature like, little, like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That we ain't gonna have no warts on the body of Christ. We ain't gonna have no tumors on the body of Christ. I heard a pastor say one time, he said, you know, in the body of Christ, some of y'all are the appendix. You don't do nothing, but you blow up, you kill us all. <laughs> kind of harsh. But we have to choose now, I'm gonna grow up and I'm gonna grow up by being equipped how are you equipped? Listen to me. You're equipped by connecting to Christ and connecting to the body called the church. 
You're equipped by choosing to grow to be like Christ. And that's why we provide so much content for you so you can grow to be like Christ. You're equipped by serving God, by serving others. If you're, listen, y'all, attending a church service is not serving God. That's why we, call, we don't call it a service. We call it a gathering. You're not doing God a favor by showing up. In fact, God's doing you a favor by allowing you to show up. And then we share the love of God in word and deed by kindness and gentleness and love. And we do that globally, globally. That's a combination of local and global. Glocal. Y'all thought I had a speech impediment, but I didn't. Glocal. And we do that for the global glory of God. And then maturity is always marked by, get this, stability. When I'm mature, I'm stable. The instability of your thinking produces problems in all of your relationships. And when your mind is built up in Christ, you become mature, you become stable, and you become a blessing. So poor scholarship produces poor theology, and poor theology produces a poor life. See, what you think about God is so important, and it will direct the decisions of your life. But don't just take my word for it. Dig it out yourself. Test me. Dig it out for yourself. You see, a proper understanding of God produces these proper relationships of truth and love and unity of purpose. If it's not truthful or loving, then don't say it. I think that's on the screen. We need to make that bigger. If it's not truthful or loving, then don't say it. I have to choose to grow up. I have to choose to pursue God. I have to choose to pursue holiness. I have to choose to be intentional with God. I have to choose this. In church, we have to choose this as a church. And it brings glory to God. It's all tied to surrender. I must surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we must surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ or we will do nothing. So will you choose to be useful? Will you choose this new relationship by dealing with yourself? Hmm. I found something that I wrote a few years back. And I think we may have used it here before, but I don't remember us using it, but we're going to use it anyway because I wrote it. And I remember when I wrote it. I remember what was going on in my life. We're living in Canada, and it was a hard, hard time. I had a church that was going through transition, and there was a lot of dysfunction and disunity, and it was from my staff. I tell my staff all the time, I can get disunity for nothing. I don't need to pay for it. It's supposed to be funny. Only staff people laugh, but it's true. And I wrote this on that cold winter day, and I want to read it for you. In fact, on the day, I remember it was minus 40. I had to crank my car to keep the oil from freezing in the engine block. You plugged it in. It wasn't an electric car. You plugged in a block heater. Can, can I get a witness? Thank God for Texas. I wrote this. I want to read it to you. Then I want to challenge us to read it together. I choose Jesus. I choose to live for him. I choose to allow his power to rule and direct me. I will not live in fear for he is with me. I will not shrink back into despair for his power upholds me. I will live in his peace for he is the prince of peace. I choose to serve him following him all my life. I choose to be equipped 
and to grow up. I choose Jesus. His life defines me. He is my destiny. Jesus, I'm yours. Would you dare read that with me? Let's stand up and let's read it together. And let's mean it as we read it. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. I choose Jesus. I choose to live for him. I choose to allow his power to rule and direct me. I will not live in fear, for he is with me. I will not shrink back into despair, for his power upholds me. I will live in his peace, for he is the Prince of Peace. I choose to serve him, following him all my life. I choose to be equipped and to grow up. I choose Jesus. His life defines me. He is my destiny. Jesus, I'm yours. Amen. Amen. Amen.